in this episode with Carly Shorter. I had two goals. First one, get an A bursary. <gasps> Second one, don't miss a party. <laughs> and I loved it. Like 14 years of hanging out with amazing people, mm. interviewing um, you know, rugby stars and celebrities, but everyone had been divorced at least two or three times. I don't understand. Mm. So another rule for Carly, never go out with anyone else in radio. I was to meet little Carly. Mm-hmm. Small Kiwi girl. What kind of character were you as a child? And let's just let's clarify what little as in do we need some kind of because I don't know, maybe I've turned changed. Um, as in a young child, you know? A young child? Yeah. Yep. First word that comes to mind. Spirited. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll have a, we'll ask for a definition. Yeah, uh, don't know. Don't, it was never defined to me, but uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely spirited, happy-go-lucky, energizing, energized, um, vivid imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you, you're quite sure about that. So tell me a bit more about this vivid imagination. You know, it's that, How did it manifest itself? Yeah. No, uh, um, it is that classic. <laughs> it's that classic. Had imaginary friends. Right. Yep. Quite early on, there was two dogs. Two dogs called Baron and Curly. Right. Yeah. My they were fierce friends. Fierce friends. And I actually had a. I don't have a sister. I'm the youngest in our family, and I've got an older brother. And, but I had an imaginary sister called Lilith that I, which that's a random, that's a random name. But apparently I would pick up the telephone and ring Lilith. Nice. When I was upset with mum telling me to do the dishes and things like that. So you were about 18 when this first came up? Yeah. Well, that's probably the last <laughs> phone call. That was the last time I rang had a chat. Okay. So yeah. two dogs and Lilith. Yes. And then... You know, the good old pretending to be other people. So um, Sarah the dancer was one persona that right. I jumped into. Right. And um, Princess Didda. Princess Didda. Yeah, you asked the question, pal. Hey. I just answered it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased I did. <laughs> no. Of yeah. all the questions you went to there. Yeah, yeah. I've got a few stories of that. And so how, how, did, this, how did these characters come about then? What, was, what do you think the need was? Obviously dull. Uh, there things no, I mean things went dull. But I think as the the youngest, I, I actually don't know. I've never even considered 
They were just there. But yeah. you've got memories of them, is that right? Have I got memories? Or, or I are think they I'm probably what you've been told. About. Yeah, probably the. I do remember being like filthy on mum a couple of times, and then picking up the phone. God knows who I actually rang, but um, yeah, and just like spitting down this. Oh, you won't believe what she's done now, Lilith. Um, so I kind of remember that. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I I don't know other than Sarah was obviously a dancer, yeah. and Princess did a. It sounds the most fun. Is, is there one of those characters that's that's still alive today? <laughs> I'd say they all are. Right. I don't know about the dancing though. Yeah. yeah. So so what did? Oh, I don't know which name to pick. Oh, we'll go with Carly, right? What did Carly? You know, like, what was her aspirations as a young child? What did she want to grow up to be? Oh, famous, famous, full stop. Um, yes, and so much so that. You know, it was like Barbie and the Rocker era, you know, a lot of Barbie and the Rocker. So I wanted to be a rock star and then an actress, but mainly you're probably the rock star thing. Yeah, famous. I don't know why, but, you know, like this was Debbie Gibson era, early, you know, you knew. I'm listening to Debbie, you I'm listening to Debbie in the car a lot lately. I don't know, I don't know, know why it just came up and on a, like a Spotify feed or something like that and. Ooh, remember this? And then I ended up, I've got several of them in a playlist. <laughs> yeah. That's, yep. Um, Sorry about that. But yeah. Yeah, Tiffany, Paula Abdul, like a lot of, oh, Madonna, I mean, she's huge, wasn't she? Yeah. So I think that's probably where I got hold of. That looks like fun. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you wanted to be famous. Yeah, I did. You wanted to be famous. And so growing up then, at home, what was home like? Was there, a, was there support for being famous? Oh, that's a good question too. Was there support? It certainly wasn't like discouraged. I think it was more about, like that certainly wouldn't be my brother's jam at all. I don't know. I just think I was that kid that just loved to put on a show. I was the one that was probably annoying the bejeebers out of all the adults Going, hey, can we do the show? To and like, if any other kids were there, they would have been drawn into the show and some given a you know a prop role. God forbid, not a lead part. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then like, let's do the show. And there was no like, I don't know. There's no scripts or anything. We just riffed. We just we just went with it. Yeah. And they were so good. Mum and Dad would always you know sit down, probably roll their eyes. Sorry, you know, and uh, away a show went. Yeah. Yeah. And so at school, what what were you doing that was like, you know, was this a conscious thing that you were doing things towards being famous or was it just, you know, you thought you wanted to be famous once and then yeah. panned out the way it panned out? Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? I think that that, that whole primary school era, there's so many opportunities to play and mm. just be with that. And it's not until you get into later years that there are school productions and you know, real opportunities to throw yourself into that. But I think the older I got, the more serious I got and and that you probably don't want to stick out from your peers a lot. So for me, I think there was always this, uh, and, and, and I think I just think about the, you know, age eight, that was maybe six, seven, eight is the rock star type of, I want to be famous. 
But then after that, it's this a pull to maybe uh, being well known for something or being really good at something. But I wouldn't have, in my teenage years, it wouldn't have been around fame. It was mm. just potentially a, um, maybe that's where the, you know, being a pretty popular kid, like to be liked and a bit of fun. So, but then very aware of not standing out in a way that was going to not be cool, I think. Yeah. So talk, can we talk a bit more about that? Because I was going to come back to that anyway. Cause I, yeah. You've said that twice now about not standing out. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, you want to be a really famous rock star, dancer maybe. Um, but on the other hand, as you're getting older, is that something that happens to all of us? That as, as we get older, we want to blend in more? Yeah. You think? Is that... You know, why, why is that? Why? Oh, I, yeah, that's, and even my work now, like you see, you see that. And I think I'd, I'd describe that like a, there's a pull that is just a part of your essence that you are drawn to things, things that you are good at would, you know, so you can't, you can hide all you like, but actually that's going to bubble to the top and that will be quite, it will become prominent in some way, shape or form. But then there's this, ooh, a discomfort around mm. what will other people then think and, yeah, how am I going to do that? And uh, so it's interesting, so you and I were talking about Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, I think he passed away last year. We were talking about that off camera before we started this, about his book called The Element. Yeah. But he's also a big uh, proponent for uh, the fact that schools – kind of knock out the creativity out of kids. Mm. You know, the school system historically has been based on the needs of the Industrial Revolution or whatever, and it's not necessarily geared up to create more creative people. It knocks it out of us. Is that mm. something you found at school? You know, wanting to be famous, but then did you feel that there was opportunities at school or was it kind of the opposite of that? Yeah, so I grew up, that would have been 90s, in the 90s, and were there opportunities? Yeah, there totally was opportunities, like drama and things like that. Mm. Um, productions, if you were good with music and instruments, you know, so you'd have that opportunity. But I think it is what sparks in me, my personal experience would have been um, having a teacher who just kind of you gelled with, that uh, the teacher would then see what really moved you or inspired you and it would be the encouragement I think of those individuals in your life that are like hey Carly have you considered this or hey um, I know that you're really good at this what have you put your hand up for this opportunity and I think that's probably what what more than anything I think it's probably in individuals in my life have given me so have you got have you got an example of that you can remember that maybe because it's interesting, another another guest talks about their music career, and actually that was started by a teacher mm. creating a connection with a band. Uh, if that had never happened, then his whole life would have been different. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Have you got have you got an example where you know, uh, like you just ex explained there, is there someone who saw something in you and maybe kind of not steered you but guided you or give you the option of moving in a certain direction that led somewhere? Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even listen to him. <laughs> 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 it was a PE teacher because uh, I loved PE, like smashed a good run around and when you're playing um, 
ultimate frisbee. I think that was what we. That's <laughs> real hard, hard stuff. Um, yeah, Mr. Watt was my teacher at uh, at Nai Nai College, and Mr. Watt was like I just really loved how the body worked, and I loved. Um, probably should have done some kind of physiotherapy. I don't, I don't know. And he encouraged me. He said, like, you know, you know, you're smashing this. You really should look at physical education, health and science, and go and do double degrees down in Otago. And I went for a radio career. <laughs> so right. I went, hmm, great idea. That sounds way too hard. <laughs> so I followed what I just thought would be a bit more fun. Yeah, okay. Mm. So you just mentioned uh, you grew up in Nai Nai? Yeah. Wellington. Yep. And um, so talk to me a bit more about what was influencing you at that stage and your kind of circles yep. that, you know, you didn't just go with the advice of someone who's a, no. you know, an elder and, and knows better, but no, no, I know what I want to do. How do you know what you wanted to do? Well, I think I did that ebb and flow, ebb and flow through school. I was like really engaged in school and then I was like, ugh, I'm out. I remember getting offered a hairdressing apprenticeship when I was 15. Came home, said to mum and dad, right, that's it. I'm going to leave school and be a hairdresser. I think this was quite a pivotal moment in my life. And my mum said to me, who was a t- is a teacher and dad had his own business, um, computer engineering. And I said, right, I'm going to leave school and be a, a hairdresser. I've got this opportunity at Green Village here in Lower Hutt. And mum turned around and she said, well, Carly, if that's what you want to do, that's what you really want to do, your father and I fully support you. And I looked at her, disgusted. I slapped my hand down and went, is that all you think I can be? <laughs> Which is no disrespect to hairdressing. But for someone who'd been working there on a Thursday after school and one Saturday, uh, who didn't really like touching hair, and um, yeah, I'm really pleased that <laughs> mum took that moment to maybe do a little bit of reverse psychology. Yeah. I think that's a theme in my life. A couple of people have done that, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I went, right, I'm, that's it. But I'm interested, though, because weren't you kind of maybe practicing reverse psychology? Why were you saying that that's what you were going to do? I know how slick. Yeah, it's quite insightful, Stevie. Um, <laughs> I guess I was. Maybe I was testing the water going, yeah, maybe. What does mum and dad say? They're going to nut off, which would have made me gone, see, I am going to do it. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Left school and done hairdressing, which when you don't like standing up, you don't like touching people's hair, probably wasn't a great career choice. And then mum just went, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do TV. And so then I went and spent a lot of time at that uh, Avalon TV studios in, in Lower Hutt and got this awesome behind-the-scenes view on Crime Watch and Country Calendar. Right. And I remember talking to one of the cameramen. On, I was like, what are, you, what are you here for? You know, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm really interested in TV. So hooked up a friend of a friend's parents who were in the industry and they said, um, yeah, come and spend the day there, which I did. And it was this cameraman and he said to me, don't start in TV because you will be making tea and coffee for the next few years. Go back to school, 
finish off school and get into radio. So get your fundamental um, media skills in radio and then see if that's what you want to do later on. Mm. Like, oh, just because some random cameraman said to me, it sounds like a great idea, radio. Bollocks to the teacher who knew what he was talking about. (laughs) P.E. Shmee. Yeah, didn't didn't follow that. But I did follow radio. So you did. Mm. And so talk us through that journey then. You know, like, oh, sorry, no, I want to go back to actually the, the reverse psychology on your parents. Oh, yeah, yeah. So was, do you think, oh, I don't know, mm. don't take this as any kind of inference, but that's how I work. But do you think that maybe you knew secretly what you wanted to do? The hairdressing thing was saying, actually, a way to for you to agree with what I want is to offer this first and then get their kind of response and then say, well, actually, I'm going to go down this path. Get, get the support for that. Yeah. Do you think or not? Oh, I think there's so much happening in that time of your life, isn't there? That mm. I one thing I know about myself is I've been hugely influenced by external forces mm. who have and and at various, not just my parents, not just my my mates, my peer groups, mm. different people at different times, and and I have put a lot of weight on what other people suggested or thought mm. yeah mm. until only these later years where <laughs> yeah. yeah flipped it but yeah. but the reverse psychology definitely it's like you tell me I can't I'll do it yeah tell me I can don't want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was just because I was just thinking about the you know like the tv and radio thing it's a bit like you know kids who want to be artists or actors and things like that and, and a lot of the time you hear or read about you know parents putting them off and go get a real job yeah so it's not my opinion far from it i've got kids who are putting actors and actors and actresses and living artists and i encourage that because it's as you as you and i talked about previously mm. um about being in your element it's important to find what you love and and what you can do but you know there is that kind of certain career paths are probably not encouraged because Parents don't want you to be disappointed, you know. Yeah, and I had a lot of I had a lot of mates like that at school where um, parents were encouraging them. Oh, you have to do this, and you know you have to do um, what the chemistry, and then you have to do um, what's that? Oh, yeah, physics. Like what? Um, as soon as I could maths. <laughs> I don't know. I've never used a linear equation. Have you? <laughs> I wouldn't know <laughs> if I have or haven't. Yeah. Nah. So. <laughs> I think, but I had, my mum was very, very smart. Like mum knew I was only going to do well in things I really enjoy because I am an all-in or I'm like the threads. Like if you can't bring me in, then I'm I'm pretty much out. So it's either one or the other. So what was pretty cool is I had mates who were like, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. And mum basically said to me, um, what subjects are you most excited about? I, I just, in hindsight, it was an incredibly smart move. Smart, smart woman. Hmm. Chip off the old block? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I hope so. Uh, one day. Yeah. So, or, or, sorry, you got this random cameraman saying, you know, uh, go into radio. Mm. So how, how, did you go about, how did you go about that? How did you get into radio? Well, I had this, <laughs> there's this. The other side of me, so I, I walked away telling mum, so mum, I've decided 
uh, I'm going to stay at school. I'm going to plug right back into school. I'm going to get right into it because oh, I don't know what I want to do actually at the end of it, but I don't want to leave and put all my eggs in one basket. So mum was probably secretly like, woohoo, well done, that's great. Reverse psychology worked again, <laughs> uh, whatever it was, I don't know. Um, and so I came back and I said, so I do, you know, tell me about this TV, uh, not TV, um, the radio thing. And so mum had done some research, bless her, not a researcher. <laughs> so, um, and just found out what was available. So either doing a three-year degree in Christchurch uh, or doing a six-month intensive training in Tawa, which was, I was in, grew up in the Hutt Valley, so Tawa was just over, so it was nice and convenient. And I was like, oh, three years, six months, let's go with six months. <laughs> and so kind of set my heart on the New Zealand Radio Training School. Mm. And so that's where I went after after school. But I, I had to plug in for two years and went, right, okay, so if that doesn't work, what will I do? And actually decided to give school a real go mm. and did really well. So I, ended up, I remember at the beginning, I'm probably circling around to another question, but the at the beginning of my seventh form year 13 year, I had two goals. First one, get an A bursary. Second one, don't miss a party. <laughs> Achieve both of those goals. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Which, you know, they kind of work against each other probably a little bit. How Could ironic. Be. Yeah. How ironic. The paradoxes, right? Yeah. 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 So you achieved it. I did. Actually did and thus been clever, I think, um, with mum's encouragement of doing subjects that really light you up. Mm. They then led to the humanitarian type of subjects, you know, like your classics, yeah, art history, uh, photography. Oh, photography is so, so cool. And PE, yeah. and then your, the ones that you have to do. And so then I ended up scholarshipping and got what was called the R.E. Jones Humanita Humanitarian Award. So that meant I got some money to put into what I was going to do after school. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. So the whole radio journey, the six-month thing, that yeah. went obviously well. Right. Must have, got, must have done it because you ended up in radio. So talk to me about that. How did you end up getting into radio? Was that, mm. was that difficult? Uh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because, you know, that, that went well. Actually, the training, I don't mean any disrespect, but basically we were still working on LPs, you know, like records mm. at radio school. And this is, what was that, um, 1999. So, and splicing tape. So that's that's like when you cut, remember cassette tapes? Yeah. And you cut it. No, no, I don't remember. You do. You <laughs> You do. <laughs> and splicing them, in, and that's how you edited back in the day. I get into radio eventually, and not not one record player, no splicing, nothing. You know, everything's actually digital. So, but we had some great experiences. And it did set my foundations in radio. It was great to get an understanding. And another thing that sticks out is everyone that came to see us, like, you know, like tutors, so, um, or not just the tutors, but speakers from the industry. People would come and visit, whether they were general managers or breakfast show hosts. So everyone that had seen us, I don't know if it just stuck out, but everyone had been divorced at least two or three times. Right. And 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 it was another kind of like, oh, okay, so another rule for Carly, never go out with anyone else in radio if I'm going to get into radio. Mm. And didn't, I think. 
that's probably a great move. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what was the other question? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a I was asking about, I was asking here, about how, you, how you got into radio from oh. radio school, but before you do, it's just interesting that you say that. You obviously, even at that early age, you were observing life. Very much so, learning yeah. Learning from it, right? Yeah. You said that you were observing that people were getting divorced and actually maybe not find a partner in the same industry. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. That's good insight, right? I guess so, yeah, and, and having not actually thought about that so much, but yes. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So let's go back to my original question. Yeah. <laughs> How did you so, say, you know, the transition from six months at radio school, yes. getting into radio, because not everyone who goes to um, radio school gets on radio. Not everyone no. who goes to acting school becomes an actor, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's there's still hurdles to jump over. And for some people, I suppose, by going through that, they realise actually it's probably not what I want to do. But you weren't put off, clearly. No, and another reverse psychology uh, thing, one of my tutors at radio school, um, very well-known New Zealand broadcaster, Dick Weir, he used to um, read, t- um, read kids' stories on radio. And he was our, our, our vocal tutor. And anyone who knows Dick Weir, he speaks... He speaks like this, you know, it's quite, it's, I remember him saying to me afterwards, so Carly, uh, you might one day make it as a night announcer. <laughs> and I was like, let me show you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I remember going Wellington around 14 different radio stations. It probably wasn't 14 different stations at the time, but different frequencies and at that point, Things were quite far more independent and just kept saying, keep going, wherever I don't care what I do, just I, I need a gig and really keen to help, really keen to do anything. And everyone kept coming back to me saying, um, you need experience. I'm like, yep. So this would give me experience if I could get in there. And I think I weaseled my way into um, Solid Gold FM in Taranaki Street and the general manager was not a particularly personal man at all but he said you happen to come in at the right time because our copywriter is going away for three months and so if she thinks you can do the job then you can fill in while she's away free unpaid okay (laughs) like an internship type thing i guess so yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um and so that that did happen and i started so copywriting is when you write the ads you write all the commercials and it was also production, which being so I was doing the job of the copywriter and the production engineer. So then you were getting people in to do the voicing, and then you'd make the ad, and away it goes. Mm. And yeah, and so I remember I went into Tony, the general manager's office. Had not seen, had not said like three words to me the whole three months I was there. I had no idea if I was doing any what any good or. What was there was kind of like nothing, um, and I remember I went into kind of like step crip, tiptoed my way into Tony's office, knock knock, and I said, "Hey Tony, just letting you know, you know, Pip's coming back, and and like a couple of weeks, and I was wondering if you know you could suggest where do I go from here type thing." He goes, "Sit down." Okay, and he picked up the telephone. But he calls another radio station up on the Kapiti Coast, and he said. Bill, Tony, 
I've got a I've got a copywriter here. Um, she needs a job. What have you got? And um, and he gave me a glowing <laughs> recommendation. And so from there, I ended up doing copywriting at another radio station on the Kapiti Coast, and that's where I started on air, on a ten to two show. Right. Yeah. Got ten to two, as in ten at night, two in the morning. No, not actually, a night like, show. Like during the day, I know, Dick. Where? Ten a.m. to two p.m. So yeah. it was, yeah, it was awesome. That was, I was kind of like, oh, this could be a thing. Yeah, yeah, making it happen. Mm. That's cool, eh? So, are you one of these people, Carly? I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. That when people infer, they might not necessarily say you can't mm. do something. That kind of motivates you to go do it and prove them wrong. Yeah, I really am. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's for all the years that I've now been doing um, personal growth and mm. reflecting on building my own self-awareness and the work that I do, you get these real insights into how you operate. And I've probably not put that one <laughs> together until now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Maybe being seen as the underdog kind of helps me, but yeah, I think you can go one of two ways, can't it? So people can say you can't do something and you just believe them. Yeah. Or you say, actually, you say I can't do that. And I think it's got a, it's got a. So most of the time, I, I probably have just listened, you know, and gone, yeah, you're probably right, yeah. yeah. And because you tell me I can't, I can't. Yeah. But I think there's these few moments in my life where there's been the. I'm going to give that one a go. Yeah. Well, I'll show you. If I really yeah. just had this maybe a bit of a distaste for somebody, I think that makes it even more powerful for me. And I think that's a good thing. Maybe. Most yeah. of the time, unless it's actually something you're not really wanting to do or, <laughs> or maybe shouldn't do. If you're not yeah. jazzed about it, are you? Yeah. You've got to let know, like go. Sometimes you can feel like you, the need to prove people wrong anyway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's a good way to tell myself. I remember as a kid, I had a my my parents took me to uh, the doctors, and uh, I just you know I think my knees were like I was a bit knock kneed yeah you know and uh, they wanted to know what's wrong with him I'm checking back um, and I remember the doctor saying no oh, he's fine uh, he'll never be a runner but you know it's nothing to worry about and I was just like as you as you do when your kids you know, when your parents take you to the doctors standing there kind of a silent witness just being spoken about yeah. And I thought, hang on a minute, what do you mean I'll never be a runner? And I wasn't at that point, far from it. But it so the seed in my head that actually you're not going to tell me what I can't do. Wow. You know? And how old were you? I would have been about 11 or 12. Yeah. 11, 11. Same age as my youngest daughter now. Yeah, wow. You know? And it just... Rightly or wrongly, they spurred me to demonstrate that actually you can't just label me as someone who can't run and then I'm, I'm going to listen to that, you know? And in the work that I've been doing since then, what's really interesting about you sharing that around the age of 10, 11, 12 is for most people we have some kind of identity, uh, not a crisis, but there's something that happens at that time we do pin to tends to be there's something that quite big will happen in that age bracket right. that we then make some decisions based on who we are and who we're going to be in the world. Right. Fascinating. 
So if we're if we are easily influenced, too easily influenced, then someone else is shaping us, right? We're not shaping ourselves. And it's and it's our interpretation of that. Yeah. So even if they said something in jest or meant the opposite, it's not what they said, it's what you heard mm. and what you decided, because our brains are meaning-making machines, mm. that's how we have yeah. survived. So from that point, you made a decision. So how has that shaped Well, as you can see, you? I'm an athlete. Um, yeah, no, I actually did. I, I, was, I remember it. I, it changed my life, actually. It did because I went from uh, out of 110 kids on the cross country run, I'd become probably like 115, 117. Yeah. Uh, within a year, I was going to be in the top 10. Dang. Following year, I was playing rugby and then went on to captain the first 15 for high school for four years over there and I was the fastest 100 meter sprinter in the school. Check you out. Proved him wrong. <laughs> but why? What are we I don't like? Know why. Right? I don't what are know we why. like? But it was like you can't tell me I can't do something. Mm. Mm. I still want to high five you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Oh, go on. A little boom. You made that happen. Well, it's powerful stuff. I don't know. Did I? Well, who else did? Well, did he sow that seed and I just watered it? Do you know what I mean? It's like I think it's a dangerous kind of. Mm. There's a danger around this stuff, I think, that people say things to, in their view, maybe motivate them. But mm. actually, it seems hurtful at the time. Yep. But if we, like you're saying, if we perceive it the right way, interpret it the right way, and process it the right way, it can actually be quite powerful for us. It can actually get us off our asses and we can go do something different. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think... I think about my youngest daughter, and say, this has just come to mind now, actually. So there's a kid at school who's just you know, calling her names and stuff uh, mm. and, you know, talking about uh, her body shape and stuff like that. You know, she's changing at 11 years old, nearly 12. Yeah. Um, and straight away, she's written a song about it, and she's now focused on um, her fitness. Wow. I, I haven't said this to her, but, you know, it's not that you want people to go around telling your kids mean things, but actually sometimes it can be the catalyst for a positive change. Can but it be. comes down to your mindset and how you interpret that, right? It absolutely you could, agree. you could have the opposite effect. You could actually, you know, want to curl up and die in a corner or something and just roll over and be, or rolled over, be rolled over. So I think it's a, it's a dangerous kind of thing, a game to play. It's not, but I but I do think that depending on who you've got around you and your mindset, those little kind of moments can make a big difference. And often do, often do. Yeah. And uh, that word that you use, the catalyst, that's key, right? Yeah. That's a catalyst for what? Yeah. Well, that's what we decided. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's not when you say we decided. I mean, I spent a lot of time not knowing that I had a decision. Yeah. So it wasn't until even I got out of my radio career. So fourteen years down the track of trying to prove Dick we're wrong, <laughs> and then going, uh, "What? 
why have I chosen this career? That it actually makes me feel quite, and I loved it. Like 14 years of hanging out with amazing people, yeah. interviewing um, you know, rugby stars and celebrities and, and yeah. this amazing opportunity, um, authors, both uh, New Zealand and you know, international stars, uh, hanging out with great people, having fun. <laughs> it was a hell of a career. But at uh, the end of it, yeah, just uh, it hadn't made me a better person. Right. <laughs> In fact, it, it really hollowed me out because it was about being perceived as something. And again, you know, this whole popularity contest, yeah. that's what radio was for me from the you know late 90s into the early 2010s 2012 I got I I got out and right. never went back so if we can then right can we can we go back to that radio career and, and learn a bit more from you about what that's like I think that's, that's mm. important to share and also what that journey was like because you've, you've kind of alluded to the ending if you like of, of, of the radio career which we need to come to and talk about but maybe the sure. context of what life was like in radio might be useful. And maybe I'm going to pile it all on, just so I don't forget. It's the old age. I'll forget this question. As maybe long as you come back to it. I'll try. And, a good I'll try. Well, maybe you can remind me and I'll remind <laughs> you. We'll do our best. Between us, we'll get there. Okay. What I'm thinking is that, you know, telling us about what life was like in radio um, and the fame, pursuing the fame, mm. I think that there might be some important lessons that come out come from that that we can share you can share um that might relate to it's slightly different now you know everyone can be famous or, or they think they can yeah and, and actually there's nothing stopping them um and it's probably a lot more accessible than what it used to be that that fame that stardom that airtime. Mm. but is it what they think it's going to be it's going to mean and so maybe if we could go back to your career, your radio career a little bit and sharing a bit more detail of what that was like, then we can find out what that led to for you, but there might be some correlation for us. Sure, yeah. So. Where do we start? At the beginning. So you went from copywriter yeah. to getting the 10 till 2 um, on air. Um, and you you were obviously good at it, right? You were obviously I had a talent for it. I think I was rubbish at it. I think a lot of this was. You think you're rubbish. <laughs> oh, thinking back, like it's. But you had a career in it. It can't be that bad, surely. Yeah, and that's the <laughs> fascinating thing is you start thinking, and I spent a lot of time, and it's, yeah, I'm, I'm mindful of not jumping to the end, but now that I've had to do so much healing, I know that it was, uh, it wasn't, wasn't a strong start, shall we say that? But everyone, everyone's uh, learning. I think it was my enthusiasm and my zest, and maybe the the you know what is it? Spirited. That yeah. you know, Carly's a spirited child. She needs to learn to to listen in class. <laughs> blah blah blah. What was the point in listening? And um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I got that opportunity, but I think it was because it, you know, they maybe they were looking for a young female, someone they could probably pay a certain amount, you know, and 
get away with it, right. an 18-year-old, and maybe I was the right person at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was cool, though, because I think about it, it as 18, 19, at, when I was on the Kapiti Coast, and I got, like, what is it called? It is a pseudonym, isn't it? Like, when you kind of get another name. Mm. Yeah. yeah. A pseudonym, and so I ended up being called Carly on the Coast. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I forgot that. Yeah. yeah, and then got a got a bit of a name for myself, I guess, in terms of that environment. But it just it didn't take long before I was up for the next challenge. And so, from doing ten to tour, maybe did that for a year. Then got a uh, a night show gig, night show at uh, Star FM in Wanganui, which was awesome. And that would be so I'd go in and do production engineering from one o'clock in the afternoon till four o'clock and then I'd go home, have an hour for dinner, come back, be on air from 5.30, had to be back at the station 5.30 and on air from six to midnight right. every night. And then, yeah, so that was my that was my life. How long did you do that for? I did that for 18 months and then got a bit of, bit of sick of that and then went mm. to... Nelson, I got a gig doing what's called the drive show. Mm. So that's your, your breakfast shows are the, the big, that, that's meant to be your, your stars of it. Yeah. Or certainly in regional, because I was in regional radio, so yeah. not like. Um, the breakfast show is what it's like, it's, it's the pinnacle, right? It's, totally. Yeah. Yes. And at that point, you had regional breakfast shows, so you're well known locally mm. in the region. Uh, then the drive shows, that afternoon show, so that was. Um, <laughs> two, two to six, and I got that job in Nelson at what was Five Shore FM, and these stations that I was with then became more FM stations. Right. Yeah. Then I went and did a stint overseas in Australia, and yeah, just the token Kiwi like that's what you that's what you're called. They would not allowed on air because that horrible accent <laughs> that you've got, and so I think oh, it's pretty much. Told the same thing <laughs> about actually it would be the death of my radio career in New Zealand if I got an Australian twang. That's what I was told right. before leaving. Yeah. And uh, did some work at CFM and Gold FM over there and just went, no, nah, I'm going to try something else. And ended up on my way to the UK, there was a job going in Tauranga at the what was Coastline FM. And I ended up coming back home, dropping a whole lot of gear off at mum and dad's on my way to London and never got to London. Is that right? <laughs> no, because I got this job and so then that was it. So were you, you were going to London, what, for like an hour? Yeah, that was it. I was going to go and meet all my mates over there because right. I'd chased my career and they were gallivanting around the world yeah. doing all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I thought I was doing real cool stuff. And it felt like I was doing cool stuff. Yeah. But then I got that job and that was... That was 2002, so I did radio, breakfast radio from 2002. What was that like? It was amazing. Like, that really was the pinnacle of what I wanted to be doing in radio, in local radio. Mm. And then from there, I guess the next step was a metropolitan uh, market, so either Wellington or Auckland, Christchurch, and do breakfast radio there. But actually, landing in Tauranga, I just went, this is a cool town. Yeah. Didn't really want to. So you were literally Carly on the coast. Oh, again, right? Again. And, my na and my maiden name was Glenn. So 
Carly Glenn, which was amazing for radio because Carly Glenn at Star FM, Carly <laughs> Glenn at More FM. Uh, so that, you know, that kind yeah. of worked. That worked really well. So what's it like? I mean, you, you, when you were describing before about sort of doing the production in the afternoon and then mm. doing six till midnight and obviously getting home late every night. And, I mean, does that take its toll? I mean, it's, it's what's oh. it like doing radio? Is it? Is it really easy or is it really hard? That's you know, such like an I, interesting question. Yeah. What's it like? I have nightmares now that I am <laughs> on radio again. Isn't that crazy? We could want to get on radio, but once you've been there, it might. I'm like, no, couldn't think of anything worse. But that's when you've been there and done that, right? Yeah. You don't want to go back there again. But it is, when you're doing shows on your own, it's just you, you've got to organise, right? Make yeah. things interesting know your audience, know your music, know current events. So that was a criteria. It, when you're in radio, you have to know what's going on in the world. So you read your newspaper, you're on stuff all the time. You are on Radio New Zealand, you know, you're, you're learning about all sorts of events and reading magazines for pop culture. Like, you, you have to be across it. And, yeah, just the one thing, I, I just had these stubborn moments when I wouldn't, when I just would would fight the mainstream. And the one I think of was when Twilight came out. Right. Yeah, you know the Twilight yeah, movie yeah, series? Yeah. 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 And you had to, you, you were Twihards. Remember the Twihard <laughs> yeah, thing? Yeah. And so were you like Team Edward or Team, <laughs> what's the other guy? Yeah. I Jake. Know. Jake. Anyway. Um, and those types of things that I just went, no, I just don't want don't find that entertaining at all yeah. until I got out of radio and then loved Twilight. So <laughs> Because you didn't have to. Because I didn't have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's actually the moment I got out of radio, the first thing I dropped is don't watch the news, mm. <laughs> didn't read newspapers, yeah. just didn't want to know, didn't want to be involved. It's when As soon as you get onto breakfast shows, breakfast shows were fun because you were had, you know, you've got another person there, you've got the anchor, she tends to be the male, and I was a co-host, and so you form pretty strong relationships, mm. or or you have to form a strong bond. So I was pretty lucky. I got to work with um, two in particular who became like best friends, like easy, fun. What are we going to do here? Let's let's like, let's riff, you know. Let's make this cool. But you have to like it's a second marriage type scenario too when when you're already married. And then mm. a second type of this person's been forced upon you and you're being forced upon them. You kind of have to get to know each other really well. and yeah, either, either works or it doesn't, right, I suppose. Really? And when it doesn't, it's hard. When it does work, it's awesome. So have you experienced both? Both. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. So the one that didn't work... <laughs> What, why is it? Why was it hard? I mean, it's, is it like a chemistry thing that you've, you know, like if you were talking, use the word riffing, and that's kind of bouncing off each other. Right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So I suppose if the chemistry's not there and you don't have that connection, that becomes really difficult, does it? Yeah. Or there's a rift, and oh, so riffing. But when there's a rift, oh yeah, that maybe one of you sees something some way, and then. You know, or you have an argument that probably wasn't well communicated, mm. and you know when you can feel a bit hurt from your partner, 
then you know it's the same type of thing when you now you now have someone that you didn't choose to to make that work. That can be really challenging unless you've got some way of having open dialogue and cleaning that stuff up, which I certainly didn't. Had no idea. And and people are trying to undercut you all the time uh, because in radio and breakfast radio it was all about ratings. So if you don't rate, you don't get a contract that's renewed. So yeah, talk about the ultimate popularity contest. Mm. Yeah. So before we get to the reasons for, well, maybe this is part of the reason. I don't know. I can ask a question about you. You touched on there about the the male being the lead, the yeah. anchor. Yeah. Why? Why was that then? Was that just a historical kind of thing, natural thing that just not been ever questioned? What, what was what was the situation there? Yeah, interesting. I think you know there were nationwide shows that I guess the females have been the more popular, or but that was very rarely the case in the regions, in my experience, and that may have been different in some areas that I'm unaware of. But certainly, the the shows that I was involved in, you you know, the guy was the anchor, the, and maybe that was the time of it as well. Um, yeah. And so you also kind of alluded to, to the twilight thing. You know, how much of what you had to talk about, how much freedom and scope did you have to be Carly? Or did you have to be a certain kind of persona that was for the market? You know, were you kind of told how to perform or is it just turn up and do your thing? Yeah, it started off with turn up and do your thing. And I think that was the coming out of the you know that mid 2000 you could still do a lot in radio with, that you didn't have to put past people it's kind of like as long as you like the general manager of the station knew what you were doing and what it might cost him then he was quite happy to let you go with it and we used to get told any publicity is good publicity so you know the the scope was wide there right. And included all sorts of stuff like where you could get pretty, you could get pretty nifty in those <laughs> days, and it certainly got trimmer and trimmer. Whoever owned the organisation, right. what you could do, the scope got more narrow. So it was an interesting play because when you're employed or hired, it's like, hey, Carly, we we want you to do this breakfast show because we love that you're, a, you're this dynamic kind of young woman, and our target market is so don't forget because you are 22 so I was only 22 when I started out on breakfast radio and but our target market's 34 to 45 so you know you kind of have to you're going to need to appeal to a uh, an older audience a more mature audience so bear that in mind and oh and by the way if you're going to be with a man one of you's got to have one view and the other one's got to have the opposite view and so which one's kind of more like your personality or your role? And I remember doing these whiteboarding sessions that was, okay, so Carly, your character's this, and these are all your, this is what we can talk about above the line, and then the below the line stuff can come up, uh, you know, that you're not 100% comfortable can come up on air, but maybe only sometimes. And so you create this kind of, which was smart, really, because then you knew 
what was on limits or off limits for the other person. But it was also crafted, very crafted. And so much so where I think one of the catalysts for me is once I've been on Breakfast Radio for about six years, I remember having to ring my program director in the morning and say, okay, we're talking about, I think it was toilet paper was the was the topic. And and we because he'd have a discussion about this the, the previous day and um and I had to ask and go, so uh what's my stance again? What like what's what am I talking about? What what's what's my angle here? And I think that became more and more prevalent. Didn't matter what our topics were, I actually didn't know what my point of view was. And so then I actually lost sight of my point of view. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and talking about having to heal some of those wounds, mm. I think that's a lot of. Uh, and it's not about blame. Certainly not blaming. This was just this was my experience of the industry. It was really cool being a part of people's mornings. And when I was on radio, radio seemed like it was a big deal because this was before no streaming, so there's nothing online. Um, websites were pretty, like, two-dimensional at that point. So we're talking, what are we talking here? We're talking um, mid-2000s, 2010, around there. And which doesn't seem that long ago, but it has, technology has come yeah. so far. And so all you were, were was a voice on the radio. This was even before. So no Spotify, no Pandora, none of that. Like So people still listen to the radio for music and very much entertainment. And it was a joy to be a part of, like a real delight and privilege to be a part of people's mornings. And we'd get a lot of, like, um, we'd start to, emails were used a lot, but we'd still get people writing letters to us and say, oh, we really loved this song that you created or we loved this. And so, and we're still saying happy birthday to people in the, in the mornings. And when you become a part of the community, and I was very involved in local charities, especially the Heart, Heart Kids, mm. Heart Kids Bay of Plenty, and I just felt like I was a part of their world, you know, and felt very connected to wanting to do the best that I can mm. as my community, in the community, and using that my voice to be able to connect people or rally support or doing superhero parades and things like this. Like, that was, that's cool, man. That was, that was rad to be able to do that. And when I got pre, like, got married and people sort of felt like they were a part of our wedding and, you know, I like I had, we had people show up to our wedding who were listeners. Yeah, yeah, but weird for Robbie. But um, <laughs> yeah, someone who is quite private definitely yeah. found that. But not weird for you, though. Oh, well, no, I guess it was just that was but what was above the line and what I was quite happy to share and making yeah. people a part of that. And also that when you make people a part of something, then that's that whole popularity thing and that's going to keep you in your job because if you rate well, you get re-signed, you know, your contract gets re-signed and then you've got a bit more leverage. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So what, so... I didn't really radio, answer your radio, question. Radio, uh, no, you did, no, you did. But radio comes to an end. When? What, what year was, can you roughly reckon for us? 
I got pregnant with my number two, my baby, and it was not a good, not a good pregnancy. So from the minute of having to get up at four o'clock in the morning, I felt ill and uh, been on air in the morning and putting that smile on when you actually know that you've got to have the rubbish bin quite close to you just in case you need it. That was quite challenging. And I wouldn't say I had a an easy dynamic on air at that point either. That was um, That was quite a challenging partnership. And so it became... This is still the breakfast. Yeah, still in breakfast, yeah. but a, but different partnerships. I've right. been through three partnerships on one radio station and on breakfast shows, and then I after I had Anika, our second daughter, our second child, who was our daughter. I then went to the other radio station, so I was asked to. I had left um, one station and got asked by what had been the dark side. The other, the, the our competitors, ah. yeah, to start and be part of their breakfast show. Right. And so you you did, you went there. Yeah, I did. But that didn't work out. Six months. She was done. Yeah, no, then it was, and I loved it. It was great. And, and that was one of my favourite partnerships on air. But when the, when the lifeblood has drained, and you just know it's the end of that season. And it was. I just went, oh, same stuff, different day, I'm out. I've actually got no passion for this anymore. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors. I'm really pleased to announce that we have Sharp New Zealand as a sponsor. And it's great to have Sharp on board because as a customer, I can speak about their products and services from personal experience. And it feels good to be able to endorse and recommend a company because of the level of satisfaction we have regarding the services they provide. And across my businesses, we've certainly been impressed with the care and collaboration we've experienced in our dealings with Sharp. It's certainly a brand that we trust. Sharp has a long history of creating breakthrough products designed to meet the needs of people living in New Zealand. Sharp's leadership in technology innovation ensures it's at the forefront of the pack, providing business solutions from printing and photocopying to interactive meeting solutions and ICT phone systems. No matter where you are or what size your organisation, whether you're large or small, Sharp New Zealand can provide their services to you nationwide. If you're looking to upgrade your technology or renew your photocopier leases, talk to your local Sharp team or visit the website at sharp.net.nz. That's an important lesson too, right? Because if you're not enjoying it, if you're not passionate about what you do, and, and I don't think it, I'm saying this, I don't think it matters because I'm not, um, I'm not a personality. I haven't been on radio or TV or anything like that. But um, I don't, so I don't think it matters what job you do. When your passion goes out of it, that's the time to think about doing something different. Well, something's not right, is it? And I, I think maybe for me, that's uh, definitely pattern of behaviour but if I'm either 100% in and I'm charging mm. or um, if I'm even slightly out yeah. my ship's sailing and I've got to I always use that I think as my a, a navigator to go I'm either in or yeah. I'm out. It's not always it doesn't always seem I think the, the easy option though is it you know when, when you've got a You've got a mortgage, you've got commitments. Oh, yeah. 
to say I'm, I'm not enjoying this job anymore and I'm just going to leave. But that's that that change can be quite significant and actually quite stressful. And it's probably what keeps people in jobs, and maybe what is contributing to why, you know, globally we've got sort of seventy percent of people who are unhappy or disengaged at work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a scary stat, isn't it? It is huge, isn't it? And as a business owner, like that's, yeah, man, yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting because I'd go back to if I'm out, what am I in? Because mm. if I'm out of this, what am I going to be in? Right. Because again, I've got to make that work. Yeah. And I think that that tenacity. I, I'm not a. I couldn't. I'm not a very good. I'm not a very patient person I had to learn this <laughs> sorry learning patience <laughs> and uh, someone said to me once the reward for patience is patience that's annoying isn't it what I mean it's true that? it's true but it's kind of it's not what you want to hear unacceptable that's a that's it's like it's like this is happening for a reason it might be but you don't want to hear it <laughs> I don't get it that's not yeah. that's not a reward no. <laughs> so so what was your next then? You, so obviously, from I'm guessing from what you're saying, you didn't just leave and then think, I'll buy myself some time, think about what I want to do. You had something no. in mind, right? Well, lucky Robbie had got, he did the dream, the dream job, and was flying in, flying out of Australia. Right. So based in Tauranga, we're, we're in Tauranga, and got two kids, both under school age, so not at school yet. And he was, he'd left his job, in Tauranga and was doing fly and fly out. So three weeks he was away in Orange at uh, working at Cadia Mine, which is a gold mine, and then two weeks he was home. And I thought, oh, this is great because he's going to be rolling in the money, you know, like <laughs> bringing in the money. So this is my opportunity to get out of radio, be a mum with the kids and start my own job, my own business. And I went, right, what do I, what do I, what am I going to do? What, what skills have I got? I can talk. Oh, yeah, that's good. How do I make that into, how do I make that into a business? And sure enough, public speaking, presentation training. So I started my own business doing that. Meanwhile, expecting Robbie to be, when he's away, like making all this money, and Katie and mine uh, kaput. Right. Like it. The gold mine. No gold. I think mining. Well, there's no gold there. Isn't there? Oh, I can't even remember the catalyst. I was in such, uh, I was destroyed yeah. because we were then in massive financial stress because I'd left my job starting a new business. <laughs> no, no clients, nothing. And suddenly we had no money coming in. It was pretty scary. Yeah, yeah that was devastating. So I think I kicked into do I want to go back to radio or am I going to make this work? And ended up making it work and ended up getting some awesome clients, I think based on credibility being in radio. And, man, I had to learn how to train people to do what I've been doing for 14 years. Right. Mm. So you, you knew how to do the doing, but you didn't know how necessarily how to train those other others to do the doing. No, so I... Had to learn. So that was a skill, obviously, you, like you said, you had. Right? And it's not, you know, I was kind of inferring that earlier about whether radio is easy or hard. I know that I've never worked in radio, but I know it'd be very hard. It's, yeah. not, it's not as easy as it looks. 
you know, doing these podcasts uh, is not as easy as I thought it was going to be, uh, particularly guests like you. No, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> I reckon. So, so Tangents. <laughs> bring them back. So what I'm saying is, you know, it's all right having a skill, but then what do I do with that? Yeah. Let's go teach. Well, actually, teaching is a different thing altogether than doing, isn't it? Oh, man. But, but you've but you've you've got there and you've been doing it for quite some time now, right? Yes, yes, I have. It was it was interesting because you don't know what you know until you have to teach what you know, and and I had to actually figure out how do you teach people to do what I do, and I got myself into so much trouble. Like I didn't know I didn't know about um, this thing called intellectual property, and I didn't. <laughs> you can't just take something. Of somebody else's, and then, yeah. So there was a few touchy did moments. Did you learn the hard way, by the way, or did you, <laughs> did you few, discover that along the way? Yeah, I did. Got some good I did. Oh, and um, yeah, burnt burnt some bridges, did some stupid stuff with just ignorance, naivety, and you know that's a hard pill to swallow when you're going. Oh, you should know this stuff, but man, if you're anyone like me, not a necessary a researcher, so I don't get energy from researching, I will learn by doing. Mm. And sometimes that really is punishing. Mm. I've lost friendships because of silly decisions I made. I didn't consider the implications around until, you know, someone taught me how to do something. I went, great, I'll go and use that in my business. And without someone going, you can't actually use someone else's stuff or you can't oh I didn't know about a, a database of contacts you know this sounds so simple you should know this stuff but when you are when you've got to make something work you just kind of like the blinkers for me the blinkers have gone on in different times of my life and that can be dangerous when the blinkers go on but without considering the impact or what could go wrong that has had to be a learnt mm. I have had to learn and continually learn yeah, you just you triggered a thought there about the, the blinkers going on. You know, everyone talks about focus and how important focus is. Mm. But I think actually sometimes focus is not that critical. Because when you focus on something, your peripherals go, right? You're not looking at around to see what else is coming or what else you should be aware of. It's so that has tripped me up many yeah. times. I'd say focus slash intensity. I think my husband calls it being hell-bent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so obviously lots of lessons along the way, but lots. you know you've. But where are you? Let's talk about where you are now, mm. and and you can give us the context of how you got there and what you're doing now. So, uh, oh wow, the journey there is <laughs> from going from radio and starting out in business on my own to where I am now. What is that? So ten years—that's a decade. I started out in doing the public speaking presentation training, realised that it's still one of those things that people hate to do mm -hmm. and realised I didn't know how to run a business. I'd been in media my my career, so I didn't know how to run a business. And within a few months, I got involved in a women's professional business network, which was brilliant because you've got all these women around you doing amazing things who are running businesses and you just learn so much. And I got quite again, focused, intense, swallowed up in that and then had the opportunity to kind of put my business on the side and become the national sales manager for that. Mm. Happy days. 
inherited a team of seven regional managers, have never managed <laughs> myself, let alone <laughs> uh, seven women doing amazing things around the country, and uh, had to learn about people leadership. I thought I was an awesome communicator coming out of radio, realised my communication had been one-way traffic because all you have to do is turn the microphone on, just make some funny stuff up, <laughs> tell people what needs to be done and turn your microphone off, you know. <laughs> communication done. And realised, why are people not doing what I've asked them to do? And just then being fascinated by how unique people are. And I had to learn to listen other than just to my kids, but learning to listen far more than actually speaking. And that's where my it was it was like a it was like a hit. It's this opportunity of personal growth and and development and continuous improvement and wanting to be better at things for me became a real drug around what do you mean I've got what do you mean I've got choice? Someone gives you feedback and you can you choose whether you're gonna take it personally or not. And I'm like, whoa, that had that blew my mind. Like, what do you what do you mean? This is this was just it was incredible to me. And then learning about growth mindset. What is this thing called growth mindset? And then you can frame things in a different way, which means you uh, digest that information differently to when you are viewing things from a threat. Mindset, also known, you know, the the old fixed mindset, where everything's a, a threat. My, I felt like my life had been a threat, <laughs> and suddenly, you know, there's all this research and data, and now experience that means I can do things differently, and I can choose. That was incredibly empowering. I felt like that was boom, the old. I'm going to do this this part of my life differently. Right. And are you doing this part of your life differently? Every day I try to choose well. <laughs> it's that choose wisely. Yeah. Choose wisely. Yeah. And so what am I doing now is through the 10 years of being a national sales manager and leading people to then realising that you can improve, you know, you talk about leadership and leadership skills. Mm. And that's something that you just, you have to, uh, it's, what is it? It's, there's so much to lead, leadership. It's not a prescription, is there? Like there's things that we know work, mm -hmm. but you've also got to do it in a way that's really authentic yeah. to you. So you, yeah. you've got to start with basics. And that's what made me successful as a leader is I was hungry to learn and it was more about, helping people to get the best out of themselves. That's all I was doing was facilitating what works for them to get the best result, right? It was, wasn't about me. It was about them. Oh, you just summed up leadership there, haven't you, really? That is leadership. I, I think so, yeah. Continually learning. Yeah. Facilitating the success of others. What do they need to be at their best? That's it. Yeah. But it's amazing how many people don't see it that way. See that leading is, you know, you're Telling people what to do, how to do it, having all the answers, knowing all the knowing. Yeah. It's not that, is it? No, I don't think so. 
And I do get that. So now I, if I look back and I go, right, what am I credible in doing? You know, like what would, what makes me go, hey, it's okay to stand out because I can be an expert in this. You know, I've been there, done that. Now in my 40s, <laughs> burnt bridges, but I have learned and continue to learn. What can I do now? I do communications coaching. So that's what I do. I go into organisations and share those strategies and those tools and those techniques to understand who you are. You know, really pull back the layers on who you are behind that facade or, you know, the mask of whatever that looks like for you, professionalism, and you know, but still being really authentic and bringing that. My hope is that I guess my purpose in life is tied to effective communication is what that does is helps you to be a catalyst for positive change. So you talk about your purpose in life, and one of the things about life's work is legacy. What's you know, what's your legacy now and in the future? What, what is it about that? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got. I'd say I've got two. I've got two prongs to my legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two pronged fork. <laughs> two pronged fork. <laughs> Is and probably many more than that, but if I whittled it down, life's work is what is my life's work would be using my talents, the things that I love to do that help others. So the contribution to others, and I think my my world is is communication, and why it's communication for me was the catalyst of I get to change, I get I get choice, and I can change how I view something, I can change how I respond to things. And that's a that's like that's a wicked that's a skill, right? Mm. My life changed when I realized that, that I actually had choice. And that choice comes through in how you are communicating. Because you're always communicating. So if there was a mm. if there was a gift that I could like part of my legacy is uh, use my talents to help others create choice through their, the power of their communication. And the other is to my children. Our children are part of my legacy and if I can support them to figure out their awesome humans and what they love to do and what fires them up and so that they can make a positive contribution to making life more awesome, then I think that's a pretty awesome legacy to leave as well. It's interesting you, you I, I know why you did it. I know why you said two pronged, but actually it's the same thing, just two different audiences, right? Yeah. I think so. I think my legacy is connected to them, but whatever they decide to do with that, and then the choice, because that's not my choice. No. no. But you know, <laughs> like but you know, like in, in work and in, in business, you are you know, you're trying to help others, you know, facilitate the success of others through communication. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Understanding and communication, right? And so, but you're looking at doing the same with your children. How are you going to do that through communication? Yeah. And leading by example. And like you say, what they do with it is entirely up to them. That's both in a business context and at home, isn't it? But, you know, using your skill set to create the legacy for other people's legacies. What what are they going to do? How exciting is that? Seems seems quite worthwhile, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I care deeply about that, definitely. And being able to own your mistakes, right? Like, and just as long as you don't make them again. They're not failures if you're learning from them, right? No, no. And that's an interesting. To learn. Yeah, that's an that's interesting, isn't it? Because that um, the failure thing is, uh, you know, we're also so most of us are so afraid of failure, but if we could reframe that and just give things a whirl, you know, mm. and like well, like considered, give them a whirl. That's yeah, it's amazing. Like the mm. conditions of if we're going to save our planet, and we're going to have to think differently. So we're going to have to fail a few times before we get it right, you know, mm. before we make that change. Yeah. Mm. So. I'm just gonna ask a question now about your your parents and and, and your mum. We were talking about the reverse psychology side of things. Where you know, what's your mum's opinion of your career and where you're at now? Is she proud of what you've achieved? Yeah, definitely. Mum and dad are yeah, they're wickedly proud. I think they're proud because. I and my brother as well are doing things that we love, you know, with with people that we love around us. Mm. So how's that for? I mean, yeah. that's all I want for my kids as well to be happy and mm. healthy and do what you love whilst making a contribution to the world. Mm. So yeah, no, mum and dad do say that they're they're pretty proud. Yeah, yeah. she probably would have loved to have steered me away from from radio. Is that right? Oh well, just. And she never did, you know. She was so proud of go yeah. and go forth and do it. But yeah, having to, I mean, that's the whole thing is that you share so much of yourself. Mum's quite that, a okay. private yeah, person. Why? Why would she steer you away from it? Was it because of that? Because you were li- basically living your life, yeah, in public, yeah, like airing your laundry type things, right? Yeah, and that's what made <laughs> that's what that's what made great ratings too. Like the mm. the deeper you could go, the more vulnerable you could be, the probably you know, the more people would talk about you, the more people would then like you, the more people more connected. I don't know if you are like Well people connect to you. Yeah, maybe you yeah. I mean, I mean is that is that relative? I'm just thinking here about you know why do people why do the ratings go up? It's because people connect to yeah. you or they feel like they know you. Yeah. And I, I just got um, a tiny thing in the seed of my brain there about Relating that back to leadership again, mm. you know, we talk about leaders and connecting with people and facilitating their success, and it's all boils down to communication, right? Because if people don't feel that connection to a leader, they're not connected, they're disconnected. You know, some of, I think some of the issues that we we come across in our work are, are down to a lack of vulnerability being willing to be open and and we've talked about mistakes and errors and and being able to show that you're vulnerable that's uh, that affects the engagement and connectedness and if you haven't got that you haven't got the trust you haven't got all sorts of other things and that's maybe why the work relationships don't work quite so well yeah that's true and i remember one of my regional managers once saying to me and I, i was new to people management but so enthusiastic, right? Like you gotta give me props for enthusiasm. Mm. And her name was Michelle, and she said to me, I just don't understand. I don't understand 
what what you how you come across. Like I think you're quite inauthentic, and that to me, <laughs> I didn't I had to even ask her again. What what do you what do you mean? I don't I don't understand, and I think because I'd say now, and this is before I'd done work understanding my own values, but I, being authentic and real and vulnerable is such a part of who I am and and when she called me on it and said you're so inauthentic I just couldn't understand but I I had to ask her and it was because I was so enthusiastic that she thought that was put on and I said oh no this is actually this is who I am like this this is what you're seeing this isn't fake. This is, the, you know, I'm I'm enthusiastic. I'm cheering you on. I'm interested, mm. genuinely interested. This is not a facade. But being called on that, you know, like I think you're so inauthentic. Like I don't understand. Mm. But that's because for her, authenticity looks so different. Her authentic nature was very different to my authentic nature, mm. and so she could she didn't see me as authentic because it was so different to hers. I'm like, that blew me away. I was going, mm. I can't assume that everyone knows that I'm sincere. I have to let people know that that's actually a part of who I am. That this is that this is it. Like, I'm going to be your best yeah. cheerleader ever. Yeah. <laughs> Sincerely. <laughs> there will you, be no rug pulling. Do you need to announce that? Though? I mean, should you need to announce that? Or is that is that down to one individual's perception of it? I mean, you know, like, we don't. This isn't what was going on for that person, but for them to perceive that and then to actually confront you on it is is quite something, right? It's yeah. Quite, it is confronting. Well, I had to respect the fact that she was asking me. Yeah. But it did teach me a, a valuable lesson of, A, you can't assume, mm. right? You can't assume that people know it. And, again, it was the understanding that everyone is different. People are so vastly different. And so what I had to do was not come on in that intense, tenacious, that doesn't work for all people. And so it was, again, reading situations, reading people, listening, rather than steamrolling and going, you must love me. <laughs> um, that's fine. You don't. That's cool. <laughs> but this is me. Like, yeah. yeah. So... If we, if I was to ask you to give some advice to maybe the teenage Carly, yeah, and you've got the benefit of hindsight now, right? And you've you've had you've had a great radio career, you've had a great business career, your leadership roles, you've you've got some, you've had some really you know good experiences. Mm. And mistakes along the way is important to recognise that you said that, right? Because that's where we that's what we learn from and we always learn. Many. You've got that benefit of hindsight now. What would you tell teenage Carly to do differently, if anything? Yeah, and and I oh so much. I would tell her so much. <laughs> but however, in saying that, if she didn't have all the foibles and nuances that she d- did, then she certainly wouldn't be where she is today. Mm. But let's just backtrack that and go, what I would say is 
she wouldn't understand it at that time, but do the inner work. Figure out what you like about yourself and then trust that. Mm. It was really interesting that okay to swing on a tangent but I just had this amazing memory just come back to me is in my last year of high school at Nino College where you'd have this evening where you'd go and meet the mayor those that got a scholarship or you know or high achievers and um, we had blazers we'd never had blazer but we got given these blazers <laughs> I was like whoa we've got blazers love the blazer I just even like saying the word <laughs> And we rocked up to this evening, shook the hand. It was Trevor Mallard at the time and uh, shook his hand. We were the high achievers of our high school, you know, pretty awesome. And the lady said to my mum, she said, oh, is that your daughter? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, wow, you know, she's so confident. She's got so much going for her. And mum, in her mind, obviously she was all polite and said, oh, thank you very much. In her mind she just said, if only you knew how much she doubts herself. Because so outwardly confident, inwardly pained, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Pained. Pained. I just didn't like who I was for years. Years. So I guess radio was about proving proving something to someone about popularity and all that. Was it proving something to you or sorry, just my knees seized up. <laughs> Is that from uh, your 11K run yesterday? Yeah, it is. Oh, um, so timely. <laughs> what was the question, Steve? Uh, why are these creaking so loudly? No, it yeah. was um, – you were talking about being pained and you said about trying to – radio was about proving something to someone. Was it yeah. about proving something to yourself? Definitely. What? Proving what? I'm worth it. That old chestnut. Uh, and not knowing what worth it meant and now putting some context around that that's you know you can you then have control over or, or choice choice not control but choice over when that shows up yeah what, what was okay so what was going on for Carly that meant that you didn't think you were worth it or had those that self-doubt what was what was causing that comparison comparisons just lethal way. Like it's it's a dangerous thing comparing yourself to others in terms of what you look like, how you respond, maybe your levels of intelligence, uh, talents, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And, and that's what we do, right, to try and figure out where we're going with things. But, it, yeah, I never, I never measured up in my own mind. And, and that's something that is really important to, to work on early. And, and that was kind of pre-social media, was it? That's pre-social media. So, I mean, oh, yeah. you can imagine maybe what kids are experiencing today. Yep. With what they see in the comparison, you know, how they compare themselves to what they're seeing online. Not just themselves, but what their family's got, their house, the cars, the yeah, that right. drive, the, you name it. How, how do we combat that? Yeah, I, I think... Because there's a real risk, isn't there, that you, you, know, you were 
obviously of the kind of character that you've grown through you know something to others but also to yourself yeah but it's a real risk in society at the minute where we've got young people who probably don't feel worthwhile and every time they're looking at their phone which is pretty often that's getting reinforced yeah absolutely and that's a you know we dialogue again i come back to this effective communication thing and dialogue with our young people whether they're your children whether they're other people's children it's it's those it's reinforcing that your uniquenesses your sort of awesome ed sheeran um what was it like a keynote speech or something and he just said um celebrate your weird mm. and i thought no that's cool like and you talk to some kids now and it's I'm quite happy to be unique and different. And, in fact, I don't want to be a part of the crowd. And that's great messaging. So long as there's no suffering in it, you know? Like there's it's – it's coming from a place of strength, not a place of, of suffering, um, whether it be internal suffering or, you know, bringing other people down. Um, but I just think the dialogue, again, that communication uh, – the thing we do in our family is trying to equip our 15-year-old you know, son to talk about his emotions and feelings and, and using tools to kind of give him some vocab. Mm. And if, if that's how you're feeling, is that how you want to be feeling and um, what's making you feel that way? So rather than me telling him how he's feeling or you know, sometimes a grunt, you just have to be okay with a grunt every now and then and then, you know, time it later. But... The emotions is huge, huge. And so being able to talk about those and add some context and, hey, do you want to talk about that? No. Okay. <laughs> and then ask again three minutes later, you know. Like, <laughs> but maybe get them at a more vulnerable time when they're lying in bed. <laughs> and like, hey. <laughs> you know. and I think it's so important, though, that if, even if you are, you know, I know from my experience, you ask those questions and, you know, we're supposed to be good at asking questions and, Wonder why when we ask a closed question we just get a no. Right? No, but you know that's just normal. Um, but I think even just asking the question, not getting an answer or an open dialogue at that point in time, is still valuable, invaluable yeah. because what you're letting that person know or that your child know is that you are there to talk to them to listen and to support them. And when they do, they'll talk to you in their time. Yeah, and they're ready, which is probably inconvenient for you, but you know, yeah. at least yeah. they know that, right? Yeah, it's very easy to sometimes when you ask the same questions and you get the same answers, and, and there's no open dialogue to stop asking. Never stop asking. Yeah, well, that's and that's that's tough, right? Because when you just keep getting the the shutters come down, like that's a, ugh, especially when I'm, you know, my work is about helping people who want to be helped. My kids never asked. They don't. They don't pay for the coaching sessions, and they don't want the training. Just point that out. They're getting them for free. I I do. <laughs> I say people pay me for this. I yeah. I help sports stars and CEOs of organisations with communication, and you guys get it for free. And they're like, and I don't want it. Yeah, yeah I'm wanted, yeah. but it's just and and lightening it up, like trying to bring. Making it so light because we've real got it serious, mm. and it doesn't have to be that serious. Mm. You know, even when it's serious topics, you can find a lighter side, and I think that 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 brings them into dialoguing around it. Mm. And it doesn't actually matter if they're 
I'm sure, you know, your kids. But if, if kids are, are asking you questions, answer their questions, mm. you know, and ask them questions. And mm. I think that's a, you know, that's a gift. That's something we can do with the comparison mm. is have them feel all right to be them. Mm. And we won't always get it right, mm. but we don't get necessarily just one go at it either. You know, it's mm. a continual thing. Ali, thank you for coming in today and talking to us. It's been great. Thank you. Um, you're such a, I don't know how to describe you, actually, just the energy. You know, when, when you were talking about someone earlier on questioning your authenticity, I don't know where they're coming from. Because you couldn't act that way, right? You couldn't, you couldn't put it on. Your energy just comes out, and I do wonder where you get your energy from. I mean, you must be taking it from somewhere else, but... Um, it's it's been great talking to you. I've got one last question. Yeah, and and you've spoken to so many people over the years, like you said, uh, famous, infamous, and everyone in between on radio. But if there was one person for you like to nominate that maybe they could come on Life's Work and you could hear about their life's work, um, and I'm not I'm not suggesting this because we're going to get them on here, but it's like. If, if you could hear about somebody's life's work, who would it be and why? What would interest you? Oh, my gosh, that's a great question. Thank you. I'll end on that note. <laughs> so one person. Mm. Well, yeah, unless it's a travel bearing or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's uh, ABBA. You know, it's all like that. I, but you know, if it's an individual, that would be uh, that would be good because it'd be easier to explain why you want to hear from them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, oh, there's so many. There are so many. Who am I think? Who am I thinking of? Does it have to be like in New Zealand or no? Anyone, no. anywhere on any planet. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> Uh, do you know what I, I, what, and maybe it's because I have already heard this woman speak, and I know a little bit about her life story. But in regards to having more people understand it, and um, oh, so talk about inspiring. Well, I Ruby Tui, so Black Fern Ruby Tui. Okay. She has got a book, a fantastic book. Uh, there is. Look what they're doing with, like the the black ferns, just absolutely incredible. Um, very proud of our national women's rugby team, and the culture they've created, the tenacity, the drive, the um, oh, the resilience. Yeah, in fact, any any of the black ferns, mm -hmm. I would say you should totally get all. Of them on at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you for that. Sorry for putting it on the spot. Um, thank you again for your energy and your enthusiasm and for taking time to come and talk to us. It's always really valuable. I, I always love talking to you. I go away with all sorts of ideas, thoughts, um, and energized from it. So um, I, I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Thanks for asking the questions. <laughs> I appreciate it. And for the opportunity, Steve, that's awesome. I love what you're doing. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. What a great interview.
I had with Carly Shorter. I always enjoy having a natter with Carly. Not only does she have deep insight into many areas that are of real interest to me, but her energy, enthusiasm and humour are energising and infectious. I always come away feeling a little bit better after being in her company. I'm sure you have similar people in your life who seemingly without effort can brighten your day and make you feel more positive. It's a reminder to us all to be grateful for those people and maybe to also ask ourselves the question, how do we leave people feeling after our interactions with them? Mm. Anyway, Wurzley's words of wisdom. At the end of every interview, I look back as part of the editing process and discover some of the gems that came out in the conversation and summarise them here. So, you'll recall that um, Carly said as she went through school and got older, she wanted to blend in more. She was worried about what people thought of her. Maybe this is a consequence of the culmination of our experiences and the way that we find our way in environments such as school. But what's wrong with standing out? Why do we feel the need to conform to social norms? Often the outcome is that we become boxed. I'm reminded of a song here called Boxes by Charlie Winston. It's a beautiful song. I'd recommend looking, looking it up on Spotify. I think there are some real lessons in the lyrics of that song. To be honest, I think the younger generations of today have started to work this out. I know with my daughters, they seem to care less than I did at their age about what people think. So maybe those older ones could learn from them. Worrying about what others think is really constraining. I know I've found that over my life. And we all need to learn to care less about what people think about us. Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, is good for this if you haven't read it already. We only have so many fucks to give, so we need to use them wisely. I also remember Carly talked about people telling her she couldn't do something. Now, the opinions of others can either be motivating, as it was for Carly, or can cause us to be hurt and feel sorry for ourselves. And this depends on our mindset. As Carly put it, it's not what was said, it's what you heard. If we are more often not negatively geared, we will interpret the words of others that way, often imagining what they meant and putting ourselves down in the process. When someone pays us a compliment, however, we can take it without too much thought, or we might question their motives. But when someone says something we interpret as negative, we make it all about us. Self-doubt appears immediately, and instead of questioning why that person sees the world the way that they do, we assume they're right and we look at ourselves. A bit like when Carly relayed the story of someone accusing her of being disingenuous because of her flamboyant style, when actually she was just in her element. Carly could have gone home and stewed on that, but she chose not to. The opinion of one person, a stranger in that case, can have such an impact on us if we let them we cannot control what people say or why they say it, but we do have the opportunity to control how we choose to receive it and how we choose to feel about it. I also found it interesting that as a younger person, Carly was wanting to be in a role that provided the opportunity for fame. That was what was driving her. And yet later in life, when she had that, it wasn't so important. And I think this is an important point to raise. The things that people are prepared to do these days online to achieve fame and fortune may cause some distress later in life when inevitably such goals may be achieved but become less important. This doesn't just apply to being famous, of course. Any goal can take us to a place we believe is great or will be great, but turns out otherwise. 
unfortunately, it's almost like we need to go through this process to discover it for ourselves. This is one area where others' wisdom is more often than not ignored, because nobody's going to listen to someone who seems to know what works best for them. And fair enough too. We need to establish what works for us. But remember, the process, the journey, that's where we learn and we create our own wisdom to apply to future goals. And as Albert Camus said, maybe it's not about a happy ending, maybe it's about the story. So enjoy the creation of your story. Don't brush through it and don't miss the opportunities to learn. So I think I'll end on Carly's answer to the question about what she would say to the teenage version of herself now that she's become wiser. Carly said, do the inner work. Figure out what you like about yourself, then trust that. This is a powerful statement. There's work in here, of course, primarily because we can be hard on ourselves and not so willing to admit what we're good at. We spend too much time worrying about what we don't like about ourselves, which seems to be a human condition. And we do that instead of focusing on our positives, our strengths. And we all have them, of course. And if more of us did this, then maybe we could be less stressed, spend less time yearning for more. We could be more contented and lead happier lives. As Carly's t-shirt said, live your best life. I hope you enjoyed listening to Carly as I did, and maybe, like I did, you learned something or had an insight into your own aspects of your own life, work and legacy. Use it. Don't sit on it. Share it with others. Sharing is teaching and it helps cement things in your own mind. It also helps you to commit to change, whether that's starting something new, just doing more or less of something, or simply stopping doing the things that are unhelpful to you. I wish you well for the future. I hope you're happy, safe and successful in all that you do in life, including your work and your legacy. Remember, that's something you've got to consciously have control over. Live a life that's a story worth retelling. I'm Steve Worsley, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Life's Work, the podcast that's all about wisdom worth sharing.